David Cameo, and we are Squawking Dead, the podcast <laughs> polarizing episodes of the Walking Dead universe. Sometimes we give you news, sometimes we make you laugh, but most times we go deep. And today we're here talking about the 12th episode of season 7 of Fear the Walking Dead titled Sunny Boy. I'm here with Cosmom's Aaron I, Rachel Burt, and Sharon D.K. Blazy Gardner, and Survivor's Tier member Bridget, ex Prophecy Girl on Twitter, and Ain't My First Roadie on Instagram. Ooh, we got both today. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> it's that kind of day. So in terms of feelings about this episode, I feel like we have to talk to Sharon because it's been a while. First of all, hi, how are you doing? Hey, what's up? How are you feeling? I'm feeling better today. Thank you, guys. I've been feeling a little under the weather for the past month, and I'm feeling better today. So as far as the episode goes, man, this is my favorite of the season so far. And not just because it was June heavy, but because it was actually something happened. And it was shocking, something we also haven't had for a while. Not really. So I, I would say overall, I really, really loved it. And I loved Badass June, of course. Yeah, it's not not Even because of June. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so no, so to focus on the something happening is something that we've been saying for the last several episodes is like, it feels like we're not hitting the conflict. We're not engaging in the conflict. We've been slowly building to it, not fast enough. So I liked the episode for sure. I thought it was a good one. We are obviously continuing our streak of at least one character dying, whether we know them already or are just meeting them, dying every single episode. So that's been a real roller coaster ride. Because now I'm kind of at the point where I'm like, who's going to die in the next episode? Because, like, someone's going to die. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was a little sad to see Senior go, but. I felt like it was a good wrap to his story arc. So I'm just going to leave it there for now. <laughs> I think it was a, a good wrap to his story as well. I mean, I was bummed, but I mean, I think it was kind of a big shock that he came back at all. So the fact that we even had John Dory Sr. I think was cool, even if it was just for a short period of time. I'm more pissed <laughs> that they killed Howard. <laughs> I'm so mad. Oh. I'm so mad. And not just because I was liking Howard as a bad guy. I thought he was doing a really great job as a bad guy. But I feel like there's a lot of potential that they literally just threw off a building. Like this character, <laughs> <laughs> this character had a lot going on for him. And I think he could have done amazingly awful things down the road. Who knows? I, I, I expect there to be amazingly horrible things to come our way anyway, but I just really thought Howard was going to be a part of that. And now I look at this character like, why were you even here? Like, what purpose did you really serve? With kind of like something what Howard said earlier, it was not earlier. I'm like thinking, for, oh, we watch, just watched the episode earlier, he said. No, um, Howard <laughs> says in this episode, then it, w it would have all been for nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We felt similarly to um, Paul as well, though. In a sense, yes, I know. I know I Howard. Yeah. There was a lot more build up. We had him for a little bit longer, right? Right. right. So the potential for him to continue with the storyline, and I mean, I never thought his family was going to show up or anything like that. That was a delusion, and maybe he was telling himself this is why he was doing these things. He was trying to justify these horrible things he was doing on Strand's behalf for, in his mind, what was a greater good. But You know what, you know what that reminds me of? I just want to interject hmm. because I probably, that if, if I don't, this thought will fly away. Oh, I, I know that feeling. <laughs> this, this sounds a lot like John Dory Jr. when it came to Laura. When he was trying to find Laura in season four, 
that's what he had to tell himself. I can't think that way. And I felt like, mm. like now that I'm thinking about it, it's like, wow, mm-hmm. how is that different from, from Dory mm-hmm. Jr.? Poignant. Yep. So, yeah, at the end of it all, I was mostly pissed, pissed about losing Howard. On my end, I think I'm not as much pissed at all. I think this show did actually what I was hoping they would, but not thinking they would actually is made it so that we could be okay with Howard being gone, essentially, in my opinion, because of all the nuances in terms of think about it this way. He did all this in the hopes that he would find his family and provide them with something that he could not pre-apocalypse, whether that was ill-gotten or or otherwise. You know, he was doing everything for his family. And then finding out that they were have been dead for months makes it so that what John does is a little bit less, a little less horrible, let's say. I know it's horrible regardless on the face of it. If he did all of this for his family and his family's been dead this whole time, he probably wouldn't want to be alive anyway. So like, in a sense, it's kind of a mercy. The writers did a really good job, in my opinion, with how they treated Howard, at least in this episode. I do have the same feelings as you, Rachel, like for all the screen time buildup, you know, he's been there since the end of season six. We had all these thoughts about him, why he does what he does. I see you, Howard. Remember that, uh, what was that Mm -hmm. Secret Santa video? I I can't remember exactly what we did for the, where I was Howard's (laughs) Secret Santa, I think it was. Yeah. I feel like at least for the last episode, they did him right. For all the screen time, they could have done more. Yeah, probably. But I feel like these last few episodes have been very brutal in terms of cutting off potential at the knees. Like, I feel like they could have done more with Arno, personally. Mm-hmm. Kind of like Leah on The Walking Dead. Like, there's yes. so much more they could yeah, have done. Yeah, Leo's is a worse case, in my and opinion. They just they just threw it away. Yeah. They just threw it all away. For what? Yeah. And I kind of feel that way about Howard, too. Why They threw it all away for what? What was the point in killing Howard? The killing of Howard illustrates victor's driving force like what keeps this thing running because we had asked the question at the beginning of season seven like why does victor reject all these people the the carpenter and and arno and and all these capable people well he's been recruiting people who need this place essentially i was thinking and we kind of verbalize this like people that can almost not help themselves you see people playing checkers upstairs and yoga and whatever these people would be otherwise mm, most some may be capable, but not like, you know, you would need this place. You're the people I want surrounded around me when this place becomes like the legacy, when the fog clears, the radiation fog clears. You are the people who are going to remember me. And then I'm going to send you out into the world. And they'll say, oh, wasn't that Victor Strang? Great. <laughs> so when I think about why Howard and why, what was all this for? It really illustrates he needs people to need this place. And not only that, Howard was the token loyalist when it comes to he needs this place more than most or he he wants it bad enough to like he could like atlas he could lift this place over his shoulders that's how much he loved and needs this place like from a place of like an addict's need you know that kind of thing i think it was also to make senior realize because remember earlier in the episode you said you think you can change victor what if victor changes you and he has this whole time he has changed john senior as John watched people get thrown off the roof over and over and over again. And then at the end, he throws Howard off the roof, even though he knows Howard wasn't guilty of that particular crime. I mean, Howard has, has done <laughs> shitty, sh- sh- shitty stuff. But the reason Howard is dead is because they needed to show John Sr. realizing that Victor had changed him, just like June said. Absolutely, did. yeah. And and made him into an, a monster just like, just, like, just like Strand. Drove him to drink. Yeah, right. To cope or... Well, mm-hmm. to go back into his, to retreat yeah. into, into well, his... Well, he's going to die anyway. Right. I mean, he knows he knows he's going to die anyway, so why not? 
Dory Senior knew he was going to... Oh, well, yeah, because of the radiation. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Right, so what's... Yeah. You know, who cares? Who cares, Bridget? But what... <laughs> in, ter- in terms of Howard, though, I, let's, let's, let's take it back to Howard. Do you think that this place changed Howard, though? I asked the question because I'm not really sure myself. We didn't get to know enough about Howard. That's part of my beef. Like, I wanted to know more about this character. I We didn't get a chance. There's a far distance between Forger and throwing people off a roof murdering children mm-hmm. so i mean yes mm. <laughs> i'm sure victor's changed him quite a bit although you know i'm sure the the apocalypse in general changed howard but strand yeah. probably really changed just another parallel to senior because of course there's the forgery planting parallel and then there's the parallel where john senior knows what happened to his family before he dies he knows that john is dead and i don't know i guess maybe he doesn't know where his wife is but he knows john is dead before he dies but howard doesn't get the luxury of knowing where his family is right oh that's the episode folks if you like what you heard (laughs) (laughs) this episode really did bring me down a bit though like as much as john dory gets an interesting and good send-off oh man that song that song really got me and not as it was sung in the show that was sweet in my opinion like researching the lyrics and then like having to write it down and then like what what Uh, let let me I'm just going to say a couple words just to kind of bring you where I am, where I'm at right now. <laughs> okay. You're sent from heaven and I know your worth. You made a heaven for me, for, for me here on earth. When I'm old and gray, dear, that's not happening. <laughs> Promise you won't stray, dear, for I love you, sonny boy. And the angels, gr- and this is the sad one. This is the saddest one. Cause of course it has to be sadder. And the angels grew lonely, took you because they were lonely. I'm lonely too, sonny boy, which is, ah, uh, kill me. I'm dead. Bury me. Yeah, see, this this is the thing. See, you guys all had, I'm going to talk about this. I'm going to talk about that. I am like, I don't know what I'm going to talk about. I have no <laughs> idea. Because there was a lot of shifting ground in this episode when it comes to where John Sr., first of all, is at. I think June is pretty resolute, at least solid character. But how we think about even Howard throughout this episode shifts like sand. Like, I, I don't know how I feel about him mm-hmm. <laughs> within each scene. It, it's hard to kind of... And Wes... Yeah, well, he's West too because he's very shady at the end. But is he playing Victor or is he really in it? Mm, yeah, let's try to keep focusing on John Dory Senior for a second. Okay, I have what's probably going to be a very unpopular opinion. I'm very sad that John is is gone. But but dear God, please do not put June with another Dory. <laughs> please let her have her own agency and be her own character for a few episodes without being attached to a Dory. And you guys know I love John and June. I mean, they're the reason I'm in this fandom. I love them so much. And had they continued with John and June, I'd been happy. But I feel like, oh, John, you know, Garrett wanted to leave. John died. But didn't we have to put June with another Dory? He had two episodes this season. I'm sorry he's dead. I hate it, but... I don't remember who said it, but someone in our group chat said something about there being a surprise twin and it'll be Don Dory. That was so good. Rachel, I was just like, oh God, I'm sharing you off so much. Just and here I the, am. Out of the blue, here comes Don Dory. Don Dory, the, the evil twin of John Dory. I was thinking when you were talking about, we don't, well, we don't know where he where his mother is and i'm like oh my god they're gonna bring her comes back oh gosh oh my god mrs dory (laughs) yeah (laughs) and she's a nurse (laughs) there we go okay just please please let june be her own fucking character (laughs) 
for a few episodes. No. Please. <laughs> I write this show. Anyway, yep. so. <laughs> I'm, I'm, very, I'm very sad John Sr. died, but I'm not entirely yeah. sad John Sr. died. Well, I mean, well, cold comfort, but like you could see that June had agency in this episode, though. Like in contrast to prior oh, yeah. episodes, let's say. Yeah. Right. So that was refreshing, at least. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. fighting John Dory Sr. on that footing. So My girl Jean uh, yeah. leading the resistance. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I know Sr. was going to die from the radiation. That's horrible and was going to happen mm. anyway. But but he didn't have to die like this. Why didn't he gut up? He could have survived past this anyway. I mean, I know it had to happen this way for story's sake and whatever, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's it's going to work out how they want it to work out. But he could have made it past that. I have an opinion about that, actually. Because in my... But you so, have an opinion, too? I do. <laughs> yeah, everybody does. I have my own opinion now. Um, Get out of here. So, so I kind of felt... Dave? Just <laughs> I kind of felt like it was... It was... It was John Sr. finally doing the right thing after always doing the wrong For the thing. right reason. Yeah, exactly. Because he left John when he was a kid and he planted evidence when he was a police officer. And that may have been for the right reasons but it was the wrong thing to do he comes in to june's life after john is gone and then he's drinking really heavily putting them potentially at risk because of this kind of stuff and then he gets to the tower and then what does he do but he starts to do the wrong thing again and so it was just like it was finally him being like i know i'm gonna die and so i'm gonna resign myself to finally for once in my life doing the right fucking thing for the right fucking reason making it up essentially to his son who he had like see now i'm getting like emotional <laughs> that he had never made it up to hey let me compound that a bit because i like to make people cry uh <laughs> in the last episode one of the big things that i'd said near the end of it i think was daniel in the last episode there was a little bit of confusion why the urgency to tell ophelia quote unquote why he's been such a shitbag you like all the things that make him a shitbag or according to himself let's say and then i then we were like saying okay well the truth makes you feel less broken after hiding it from this per the person that you love for so long but then i thought like okay no that's not it as much it is part of it but it's him saying i would definitely take it all back if i could just be your father if we could do it all over i would have rather been your father and so that i see that parallel within within him and John Dory Sr. And he, that's him like righting the wrongs. It's like saying, I did that for John. I'm not going to do that for you, for you, baby Mo, let's say, or maybe all the baby Mo's that are out there. You know, I want to build, it's not about the place, but the people, you know, and, and, and securing their legacy. We do what we do to not secure ourselves and spread the legends. Cause you're in the, in Howard's office, you're seeing tokens of all these people who were legends in, in various stripes. But then, you know, at the end of the day, what is it for? I mean, John Dory's wearing all those things to protect himself because that's mm -hmm. all they're good for in the zombie nuclear apocalypse. So then when he goes out in the world, he's doing the right things for the right reasons. It's it's a completion. It's him saying, this is me honoring my son's memory the way I should have when he was alive. So I kind of like that. Saving baby Mo, right? Right, that's right. The, Essentially. I'm doing this to save baby. OK, so if that was the goal, don't you think putting guts on him would have especially been a better idea? What if he had only made it halfway through that herd and they both got taken out? Not only that, but he has her pressed right up against the nuclear radiation burns on his yeah. chest with just a little bit of cloth between them. That is not 
The safest place to put a baby you're trying to keep safe is right up against your nuclear radiated burns. This is hard to determine because when I was like watching this episode, I noticed that he says to June, I did, I was safe and quick or whatever, quick and whatever he's mm-hmm, saying to June mm-hmm. about how he was taking care of Charlie. I don't know that he got his burns from Jar- from Charlie necessarily. No, I'm, not, I'm not saying he, but no, you no, no. still are, you should not come in contact with people who have nuclear radiation burns on them without some kind of protection other than one little thin strip of cloth that he held her there for quite a long time. It's not, I mean, it's not like this was just up against her and gone like he would have done with Charlie. He was holding, the baby was there for a long time, pressed up against those burns. I just don't think that's very healthy. Well, he, she, she's also like in like a... Bathed and gutting up. Well, she was like in a rubber suit though, like, or like a raincoat like a baby rain which is cute but this baby raincoat coat, <laughs> it was cute I, it was cute it's it was totally cute. cute but yeah it should have been like made of lead like how do you know it wasn't bridget and regardless regardless of that they didn't gut up because they didn't have time but yet they had time to record but, uh, sunny boy a duet uh, a perfect duet between i know uh, John it's so Grace, frustrating. Time to get up. Unforgettable. You know what? They could yeah. have been putting guts on the shit while they were singing. Well, <laughs> thank you. You're, you're ignoring the one thing that that we've seen in the Walking Dead universe, and that the blood can get you sick, and you can't risk a baby going like putting the guts in her mouth or whatever. So they did it. They did Judith. it with Judith. <laughs> You know what? That's... They put Judith under. Yeah. yeah. They, no, they did yeah. that with Judith. Yep, they did. Mm. Carl was carrying her. But, but to be fair, that was before they knew that it, it could make you sick, though. Too. This is with a, a nurse and also someone Judith who has the cure. So, in... <laughs> not this. Not this. Or go ahead. Sorry. This, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> I was gonna. I was gonna say. To be fair, they're with June, who was a nurse, who would probably be like, "No, don't do that." Whereas in that particular instance of the walking dead with judith they like had to get out of that house look i'm gonna make excuses because i refuse to feel bad about this so so uh, I'm gonna honestly just, but i <laughs> the bone the bone that you could really pick with this though is that why would you even do this this is way too dangerous i was worried to about do it the, this way just period to just get her period. out get mo just, out in general yeah i mean it's, i i generally I, in general, disagree with the idea that Mo is going to be safer outside. Yes, If she's going to be safer outside, well. then why are they trying to take the tower? Why yeah. do they want to take the tower so bad if baby Mo is going to be safer outside? It's not so much the physical safety as it is, like, the mental trauma issue of Victor being your dad. Do you know what I mean? Like, well, so as, as someone who works in, like, early <laughs> childhood education, like, the earliest years are the most pivotal. And so if you're, be- if you're being shown people thrown off roofs... And shit, as an infant, I just feel like that's doing something to your brain and your brain is routing in a very specific way because of all of that. So like, but my daddy do it. So why can't well, I do it? So oh. I just, oh. I mean, I, I can, I can agree with you, but at the same time, this is also a very different world than your everyday living life. These kids have to grow up tough and maybe a little twisted to survive. Ooh, I don't know about Fair. twisted. Didn't we hear somebody say that they wanted Mo out of the tower so that they could attack. Yes, right. also. They're not going to attack the tower as long as Mo is there. Right. But that's not the excuse that they were using. <laughs> it was like, it's not safe for her in there. Well, unless they yeah. meant it's not going to be safe we're because gonna attack. they're going to yeah. attack. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I could see if it was worded that way, I guess. I just, yeah. in my in my mind, I was like, oh, they're talking about, like, she's not safe because Victor is like, 
Come here, my sweet, precious angel baby. Watch but me throw people off the roof. I'm so crazy now for some reason. One, one day you'll throw people <laughs> so, off roofs. <laughs> I won't the be able to Strand carry them. That overboard, the reason Strand went that overboard was because they stole the baby in the first yeah, place. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That was kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy thing. Yeah, that's there, fair. Because he was letting other people take care of her and having other people's opinions around her. You know, June was taking care of her. That other girl was. But then they stole the baby, and then Victor was like, oh, she's just going to be with me from now on. But this so. isn't about what we think about it, really. This is about, does it make sense that John Dory did what he did? And it does, because that's John Dory Sr. His, his character is one, at least even at this point, the kind of person who says, because of his background, because of what he's been through, because of what he realizes doing bad to do good only leads to bad things anyway. But of course, it makes sense for him to say, look, we need to get her out of here because I want to build a better world, a world in which you don't have to throw people off buildings to solidify your future. So, of course, it makes sense for that character. Everybody in this episode talked about legacies. Well, here's my question. <laughs> what does a legacy matter in a dead world? Of course, your your children or your legacy or whatever, but what does it matter to have a building as a legacy or or something like that in a world where none of that matters anymore? I didn't understand any of that anyway, because that's what I kept thinking is like, your legacy doesn't mean shit now. The world is wrecked. There is nobody to carry on your name. No one cares anymore. It's all about just surviving. So the fact that that was like happening over and over and over again, they're all talking about their legacy was such a such an item of luxury based on where they're living now. If you were out there scrapping every day for everything you had, would you even give a shit about your legacy? Like, would you care? But if you were doing that and you saw Strand's Tower... And he'd be like, yeah, you're perfect. You're scrapping by. You, you want something a little bit better than you did to yesterday? Come on in. And then you could think about legacies. Like, yeah, this Victor Strand guy is kind of a cool dude. You know, maybe I want a legacy too. But isn't that people though? <laughs> yes. People want more than surviving. Of course it's illogical. Of course, Bridget. And, and, and Sharon D. Of course it's <laughs> illogical. But that's how we're built. I mean, that's how we beat the Neanderthals. We're, we were relentless. We cooperated to do it. That's another thing. But, you know, we did it. We weren't ready to be snuffed out. And, and that's not survival. That's more like we got to take these guys out because, man, if if they evolve, uh, they're going to take us out. <laughs> so and so then then you create culture from that from that survival instinct and you, you want something more. You got to have more than just eating and pooping in this life and even in a dead life. I understand that. But what is the importance of a legacy in this world? There, there really isn't one. And for them to be making all these decisions based on making a legacy for themselves just seems irrational. Yeah. And why it is. And it taints the decisions that they're making to do this thing that doesn't have any meaning anymore. Bingo. Bingo. You, you've hit the nail on the head of why we see people doing at least, and I'll, I'll answer your question in a second, but why people do horrible, even John Dory Sr., horrible, hor horrible things in the immediate. Because I think people in this bill, this tower, at the very least, or people out there, they are assuming, because they have to, that there's a tomorrow. That there's a tomorrow that doesn't involve checking the radiation levels, and that there's a tomorrow that doesn't involve trying to find non-irradiated food and irrigating the top of the roof or hooking up solar panels. They're thinking of a, of, of a world that doesn't contain the dead, let's say, because they have to. Otherwise, who cares about surviving? Who cares? Well, what's the point? But you're right. It's totally logical. But 
this is the struggle. This is where we live. Honestly, I write the show. <laughs> as far as this episode goes, you're talking about extremes now. I want to secure my legacy at the expense of maybe even demolishing my legacy. This is something that John Dory Sr. says to Victor. Yeah, you want to build a legacy, but if there's nobody around to revel in it, let's say, or you're throwing most of the people, I think your plan is flawed. You're throwing most of the people off this building. Or let's say people like, I mean, how many people are looking at the windows and seeing a body drop every every couple days thinking, which is basically why I think the reason June was able to, because this is something that we, sh we should get into now too. It's the reason why June was able to actually even establish a resistance of some kind. Like you see all these people flying from the rooftops and she's like, yeah, you, you, are you down with this? Uh, vote for June. <laughs> like, here's a walkie, maybe. I don't know. But what, what do you think of all that? Let's get into that because this existential, like philosophical questions are really hard to unravel in a dead world. Like it's a bigger question to really kind of give the audience to chew on. Like what's a legacy worth if such, if it's at the, at the expense of surviving even. But let's talk about June's resistance. All I'm saying is none of the girls were talking about legacies. <laughs> right? They were just getting this shit done. Well, June was talking about it, but in the context of like, this is not where it's at. Not her legacy. She wasn't right. worried about her legacy. She was just worried about no. getting shit done. No, because it's and the, I love the various stripes of people who regard their different legacies too. Like Howard's legacy was for technically initially himself when it came to the letter. Strand, it's all about himself as well. This is why they get along so well. But like Strand is now. The letter was in the past. Howard is just trying to do the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result, regardless of intention. But let's talk about June's resistance, because from the jump, I was like, oh, June, June definitely gave all these walkies to people. Yeah, totally. And then like throughout this episode, everything made me doubt everything, which I like. I like when they were like, is, is it June? Because there's a lot of people dying right now. Uh, <laughs> that doesn't sound good. Doesn't sound like something June would do. Hmm. So maybe let's start there. Had the thought crossed your mind that maybe June got a bunch of people kill, killed, I guess, at all? Right? It didn't. It didn't. But now that you know, you're like, oh, shit. June don't care. I, no, okay, before I say what I think, let me ask you, if June was the one handing out these walkie-talkies, where did she get them? Is she just, like, swiping them from people as they come into the infirmary and they don't notice? Like, she's been in the tower the whole time. It's not like she's out in the world gathering up random walkie-talkies. So she would have had to, like, stole them from someplace. Well, that's really easy. Yeah, exactly. I, that's really easy because I'm sure, like, all the people that come into the tower, they they drop them into a receptacle at the, at the stairwell, like, when they bag do, them over I, the head. I mean, do they? Why wouldn't they just hold on to their... Why wouldn't they be responsible for their walkie-talkie? Because nobody in the walkie... Nobody in the building's allowed to have one. I assume the rangers... No, Not even the rangers. Allowed to have check radios. them in. That's, that's why everything was hardwired when they... In the portrait, everything was hardwired. That's oh, funny. It's like the sub. And because they didn't want anybody to have walkies for that reason, so nobody could talk to the outside world. Yeah. Without going through strand right. first. Control communications. That's like a cult. Were they all looking for these walkie-talkies because someone said they went missing? When somebody comes to the tower, they probably search them and take their walkie and put it in a receptacle. So like where the antenna was. Maybe June had... Maybe, maybe, see, it may not have been June. I mean, maybe whoever is, she recruited somebody in Grace. The, I mean, in the, well, I mean, somebody in the munitions or whatever, mm -hmm. and they swiped a few walkies and handed them out to people. Senior's the one that planted one on Howard. So why don't we think he was the one handing them out? But just the one. I went over this episode specifically to figure out, was it, was it all him? And he says it's, he planted just the one on Howard. 
Well, yeah, Twice, I, I'm not saying this. he planted the walkies on people. I'm saying why couldn't he have been the one giving them to people? It was just the one. Yeah, I don't I don't think it was senior. The fact that he reiterated it twice in this episode that it was just the one that he planted on Howard. The one. That he planted. After he saw Strand yeeting everybody off the roof for having walkies, he was like, Let me let me get Howard this way, you know, and then I'll move up into his because he probably figured for sure Strand would just throw Howard off the roof. So he was well, like, he almost I'll move did up right his, then, yeah. Spot or whatever. Yeah. Who knows who's maybe it's Wes. If that was even true, maybe those people had their own anyway. But it's entirely possible June gave them out. Yeah, I feel like it was June. Unless they were planted on someone, it's no one's fault if they were handed out because you took on that responsibility to be a part of this revolution when Mm -hmm. you took that walkie talkie. Mm -hmm. So that's technically on you. That's your free will making that decision. But I have thought before in previous episodes if Howard in like a desperate plot to keep himself in Victor's good graces would plant stuff on other people to then be like, they're bad. Don't look at me. Mm-hmm. They're bad. So I've, I've wondered that a lot. If it was mm-hmm. maybe, maybe it was just Howard putting walkie talkies into people's stuff. Maybe he didn't like them. And he's like, I want them to go. We heard that woman kind of put up yeah. protest too. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't, I didn't, did, did, did. like she was right. going to say the same thing Howard did. Like it yeah. wasn't me. Right. So right. maybe she was going to tell us, yeah, that these things were planted on her too. Yeah. Right. I just want to address the Howard thing though, because that to me, that actually ultimately doesn't make sense because Howard is a true believer. Howard needs this place. And so to go that far is to kill some random people to, and I'll say this because it makes sense on paper, what you're saying, but then what that does ultimately is make Victor Strand even more paranoid than he already is. And I don't think he wants that. I think he believes in Victor. And so to kind of increase his paranoia 10 times fold, it makes Victor's mind clouded and it will make, it will make him pro- more prone to irrational decision-making and stray away from what he thinks is already pretty good instincts. But wouldn't you think that Howard could do that in order for the other people to see that Victor doesn't know what he's talking about? We should oust him out of power and i can rule this tower what the hell why does but this is no this has bothered me since the beginning why does howard fall in line for victor for what reason that was his tower and victor just scooted his ass in lied to his face and then took it over for what fucking reason does howard rely on victor it makes we no are all sense. devils I wanted all of those answers i wanted those answers so bad and i thought we were going to get them with howard and then they chucked him off a fucking building like <laughs> he was going somewhere he was gonna like what the f- it's frustrating i feel you bridget i wanted those answers too the more i think about it the more i'm like why would he be loyal to victor like i just don't understand it i don't think the family aspect of it for me is enough that is not enough for him to fall in line with strand i mean that might be like a small fraction of it but i don't think that's enough to make him fall in line with with strand it's kind of like something that Victor says earlier. He regarded Howard as a partner more than a subordinate, let's say. So I think if, as long as Howard felt like he and Victor were partners, less than a sort of master-slave relationship. Classic Victor, by the way. Victor comes in and he's the pitch man. Howard is like the guy. He's like the classic historian. He's like, I'm a ner- book nerd. I do the research. Boy, I don't know how to sell. I don't know how to get tickets to this museum. Enter Victor Strand saying, well, did you think about putting neon signs in the entrance? And this is like, did you think about putting a, a lighthouse light at the top to get people to come to your tower? No, you didn't. 
But when, Follow me, kid. I could take you on a ride. But what made this more unbelievable is the fact that we find out that Howard isn't that guy. Howard was a forger. Like, he had to charisma mm-hmm. his way through things. He had to lie to people. And he had to be good at it so that they would believe him. So well, I'm that's just a different like, story, but though. we find that out. So it's like all that stuff that we believed about Howard, like where you could say like, oh, he just doesn't know. And so he has to like fall in line because otherwise nothing's going to happen. All of that gets thrown out the window with that exposition. So it's like, I don't, I, just I don't, don't think that makes it. Howard charismatic. I think just that just makes Howard a convincing liar, but I don't think that makes him charismatic. There's a difference between marketing and lying and, and fraud. <laughs> There's a huge well, it gap. Was enough, it was enough for people to to believe his lies. I mean, there had no, to be I a agree. certain amount of, you know what I mean? He had to have some sort of sway with not, people to make them like a, believe him. But that's not even a, like a creative lie. It's like, you know, I know enough about a thing to forge a something. But then once you forge the something, you have to put it on. And then they found him out anyway. So like, of mm-hmm. course he didn't succeed. Victor would succeed, right? He would con people all the way to the end and they wouldn't even find out until the, after the apocalypse, as we've seen on this series. So like, mm-hmm. let's so let's take all of that and put that together. Aren't these guys ebony and ivory in a sense? They're just so good together. Howard is the substance, whereas Victor is the creative. I believe in this thing. Do you believe in it, Howard? Yeah. You know what? I believed in it first. Like, you know what? I believe in you, Howard. And and, and Howard's like, nobody's ever believed in me before. I so hate like, this. Like, if that was a show, I would hate it. it I would just, love it. If it was just Howard and Victor stroking each other's egos. Like, yeah. Just, uh, no. Oh no. <laughs> but then. <laughs> At least you added egos. Well, right? so, I was going to say sucking each other's dicks, but I felt like it was inappropriate. For the you just did. So it stays in the show. <laughs> all, all of this to say, like, we, there's, there's a problem with the assumptions so we think about a lot of things when it comes to howard right or we thought about a lot of things because he's dead now but we had thought oh he's maybe the eviler guy or or he's you know he's playing victor or like we thought a lot of things well i mean you know it could have been true but it wasn't at the end and in the end of the day (laughs) what what howard thought was a symbiotic relationship wasn't in a sense he thought they were in lockstep yeah, Victor's a little eccentric, but you know, that's just Victor. <laughs> so, like, that's just my friend, partner Victor. I don't think he could see, and I, you know, maybe this episode does sort of shed a light on that. I don't think he could see, actually, not this episode. Morning Cloak really did illustrate how much he believed in Victor's vision. As much as we regard him as a yes man, I don't think Howard regarded himself as a yes man as much. I think he felt like he was a partner in this. The fact that we could all see it is almost emblematic of the issue, isn't it? Well, then he has um, delusions think, of grandeur, and I'm glad he's dead. <laughs> um, the, fact that, <laughs> wow. the fact that we have to sit here and still speculate about what side Howard was on makes me even more angry. Like, this character's dead, and we are not going to get these answers. I'm not speculating. I'm being very clear. <laughs> but you're being clear about your opinion. This is right. not fact. Like, right. we don't know. We don't know his true motivations. We don't know how far don't he we? would have gone. We don't even really know if he could have ended up eventually turning on Strand. It didn't seem like it, but who knows? I mean, Strand could have taken one step too far, and then that could have been it for Howard. He didn't find out that his family had been dead for months. How would he have reacted to that? How would that change his relationship with Strand? There are so many things that we were robbed of and i'm so angry (laughs) well so there's there's a couple things that you put on the table here half of that pile that you just pile of everything that you just laid out on the table is 
is things that yeah no because we (laughs) we see howard and he's an enigma he doesn't say much he doesn't do much we got to see a little bit more of him in the last few episodes let's say but other than that not much we put on him a lot (laughs) too we've been thinking about him and talking about him for like a year by the way right basically Yeah. yeah but that's just us that's us trying to put on something that we you know we hope to see right but then there's the other half of your, what you said, which, which is, you know, wouldn't it have been great if, right? Wouldn't mm-hmm. it have been great if knowing that he, he had a family out there and knowing that maybe knowing that they were dead, he would do and think something differently, right? That's mm-hmm. that I accept because that is the, what you said earlier in the episode, that is a life cut short that could have been really cool to see what would happen, right? Mm-hmm. The first part though is that's us. That's our biases. That's what we would have wanted, wanted to have seen, but we didn't get. Like, oh, I would have loved if Dakota was actually John Dory Sr.'s granddaughter. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> que sera, sera. I write this show, but apparently I don't. <laughs> so, no. And he's like, no. Glad that, I'm glad God, that, that was play not out true. that way. I thought that was a great theory. Uh, I'm sorry, but I, like, how I mean, many people are going to be related? Texas is not this incestuous. <laughs> it's like too large for there to be so many. It's not Alabama, <laughs> isn't it? No. <laughs> And Ginny being John Dory's ill, her, his daughter. Oh my God. That'd be great. And related to Rick, Ginny Grimes. Oh, now we're getting incest. Now we're getting real incestuous. No, so. I hate it. I hate by all. By the way, that's. <laughs> by the way, me saying this to you, Rach, is like not to say, you, you're so stupid. It's not, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we, we kind of have to take a step back and say, okay, well, that's how they decided to do it. A. Uh, mm-hmm. and it's frustrating because like mm-hmm. i've been frustrated with every like almost every single death that they've had uh, in these episodes I, be- I was upset about ali and arno like they got me frustrated for people that like you know we shouldn't need to care about you introduce a character in one episode now i already care about him but then mm-hmm. they're gone or even arno somebody who i really didn't like and then you got me to actually kind of feel bad for him and sage won't somebody talk about Sage? <laughs> I talk about him enough. Okay, why don't we pivot here just for a second? Because I know we kind of expressed it, like Bridget kind of expressed it. Do you feel bad that Howard is gone? Like in a I feel bad for him kind of way. The only thing I feel bad about Howard is that he didn't know what happened to his family before he died. He died not knowing what happened to his family. Other than that, I, I don't feel bad for him dying in any way because he was a jerk. He was throwing people off buildings. He threw a fucking 15-year-old kid off the roof. Mm-hmm. Fuck Howard. As opposed to prior episodes, did you find yourself feeling bad for Howard in any way? Like as a person or like... Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. Okay, okay. I Or did this I episode build don't... it to where you could feel bad for him? <laughs> All right, I'm going to sound like a real asshole right now, but... Go for it. I didn't feel bad for Howard. I felt bad for me because I didn't get the answers I wanted about this character. So political. (laughs) You should run for office. Gretchen Whitmer, watch out. Watch your back, Gretch. (laughs) But but did I feel bad for Howard? No, no. Like she already said, he's been chucking people off the building. Like he definitely deserved to die. I just didn't want to see it happen this early. Right, I wanted right, it right. to be I felt later. bad for me. Why don't we talk about <laughs> me more? Me. <laughs> <laughs> like, this, this is about my feelings. Dave, and, you asked yeah. a good question. But you know what? We should talk about me. <laughs> <laughs> that was my asshole moment. I think I felt more comfortable with him going because of how they ping-ponged us emotionally with his character. Not that I was glad that he was gone, but just that like, 
I have all this information in front of me now that I didn't have before. I've seen him in prior episodes do some heinous shit. We always wondered what he why what he is capable of and why he does what he does. Now we kind of know. And like what made it and like I'll re- repeat it again for the audience at the back. What made it a little easier for me to stomach was the fact that like what he was trying to do was never going to happen essentially bring his family there yeah exactly if you had liked howard or found found some sympathy for howard well i think he would have rather have been thrown off a roof so who better to throw him off the roof than john dory senior in a sense like this kind of good avatar let's say do a little bad to do good kind of avatar like who is there a good way to be thrown off a building david (laughs) yeah a swan dive (laughs) right on the head so you don't turn into a walker oh well well, too bad he didn't land on his head well because why why would you want to be robbed of that right (laughs) think about it i mean one of (sighs) one of the things i always wonder is how effective are the walkers that they throw off the building because none of them can like Mm-hmm. actually be mobile and chase anybody or anything you saw howard his arm all broken out of his yeah his arm bone sticking I still out remember will will with his spine sticking like way out so, unless they're like like snakes in the grass so like when somebody's <laughs> walking through the pile they don't see him there's like cobra strike you know, yeah. <laughs> at their ankles well, don't you think they'd also be like tripping the other walkers like if they're just army crawling around like the other walkers are <laughs> tripping and falling over them like that seems like a hazard <laughs> honestly it, now that i'm thinking about it like okay what if john what if what if that would have been i would have liked that a little more like what if howard was the one to bite to bite john dory senior I would have, oh my gosh there would have been some sort of poetry in that i am just like you I, <laughs> I feel like there should be a there should legitimately be a lot more army crawling walkers out in front of the moat like there shouldn't be quite as many standing i'm surprised yeah, howard yeah. made it out as far as he did as a walker right He's, it was like kind of a distance between the door <laughs> go walker howard I mean, unless they like really threw him like i mean if they like well, we saw where know, he landed like, it was kind of like oh, that... near the wall yeah you know so that's true yeah oh we got to see him go all the way down <laughs> and here here's something else so like the whole mm. point of turning off the beacon and everything was so that the walkers would disperse mm-hmm. and they could get in well, all the walkers were following Morgan anyway when he left with Mo. So why don't they just get something out there to make noise mm-hmm. and draw the walkers away? Too like, like as you're walking, <laughs> we know as you're watching Morgan walk away, you can see all the walkers following him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we know they're going to choose fresh meat over a light. You know, right. give them right. some food in front of them. They're going to follow that. You guys are thinking way too ahead. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> so not concerned. <laughs> I was kind of curious what you guys thought about this because I did see some stuff online about I'm very torn and I don't know how to feel about this. I On one side, I want to be mad at Morgan, but at the same time, it's like I, I do get it. But I did see Morgan taking a lot of grief for basically hightailing it out of there once uh, Senior handed over <laughs> yeah. baby Mo. And Morgan oh. was like, see ya, bye, and like ran the fuck out of there. But I Get like what else would should he have done? No, I'm gonna like, take out all gonna, these walkers for know, a bitten right. man. Yeah, what's he gonna, and what's John he gonna do? John is gonna die anyway. John knows he's gonna die anyway. So and like I didn't even me, Queen Morgan hater, did not hate Morgan for that. I was like, no, Morgan, yeah. you you go on because you got the baby. Get the fuck out. You can't help yeah. John. I felt the same way. Okay, you know thank what? You. Good. Th- there is a better critique here that should have been pointed out a little bit better, and this is something that I thought. Um, now that you guys are talking about it, like I'm thinking to myself, shouldn't there have been, I don't know, like a moment between he and John Dory senior. I'm not saying that they're supposed to be, you know, Oh, touching moment between John Dory senior and Morgan, but I thought they could have had that beat a little bit more 
I mean, I did Sad see a moment. And solemn. I did see a there moment. Was a moment. There was a okay, moment. No, and I saw. Keep her alive. Yeah. I will. That was yeah. it. You he know was what like, I mean. I'm sorry. Or didn't he, didn't Morgan say I'm sorry, John, or something yeah. along no, those when lines? No, he, when he yeah. saw the bite, he was genuinely like, yeah. Oh my god. Oh my god. Just, yeah, like it, it just, just another, just another Dory, my best friend's father, the altar of Morgan. Yeah. But I just feel like <laughs> had there. <laughs> It felt rushed, is what I'm saying, right? A little bit. Had there been more of a moment between Morgan and John, that would have taken away from the fact that that whole thing and the song was supposed to be about senior to John Jr. Like, that's what that was all supposed to be about. And so that would have taken away from all of that. And that was really just like the P.S. de Resistance, like with the whole thing was just this like this striking human moment of like, I've never done right by you. And this is me trying. And you're not even here. I can never do mm-hmm. right by you. But this is the best I can do. And like, as someone who had a really horribly strained relationship with her father, like this spoke to me on like such a level. Well and said. so I'm glad it I'm glad it went the way that it did. And so yeah. mm-hmm. F you people who have like normal families. So you're like, Morgan didn't pay attention to him. Screw you. Okay? Like, get some baggage and then you'll know what this is like. Okay? Yeah. Here, I'm going to hand my legacy off to the person who got my son killed. Mm. Here, take my legacy. The cloud of mystery. Uh, we'll never know. I'm squawking dead. Ooh. Well, to Morgan's credit, though, he lets him. Also, I think Morgan of pre season four would have been like, no, life is precious. I must save. You're still alive, John Doy Sr. But if you go through all the nuances, am I really, though? I, I have radiation. I've been bit. I've cut the deck is kind of stacked here. You know, this is the way I want to go. And so that's kind of what I wish there would have been like more of a moment there. Be like, no, no, no. Sorry, Morgan. Don't. It's not. It's just not worth it. You need the time. <laughs> you need time to get away. You need time Wanted to get away. To see Morgan try a little harder is what you're saying. That's that's really it. <laughs> but that's just that's just my see. Well, to 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 your to what I was trying to say to you. That's just my bias, right? That's yeah. like what I would have wanted. But but I get what. And I'm like and I'm like no, I get it, man. Get the fuck out of there. Run. But, but what Bridget says, compounded with the fact that like obviously they need to kind of first of all close the book on this episode and more focus on John Dory Senior what he does and then probably what Charity likes a lot is like Morgan getting less screen time. Yeah, that's fine. Get off the screen. And I'll say it again. I don't mind. Doesn't mind. Doesn't bother me at all. I would like to focus on more of the other characters also. Like, as much as I like Morgan, it's all about the story. Mm-hmm. And so I like all of these answers. All of them. I don't I have no problem with a single one at all. What got to me was when Senior was going through the Walker Horde and they did that camera angle that was kind of looking up at him oh yeah like i don't know he had the camera strapped right here or something and was and it, the way it was jerking around the two of them. and everything there was there was yeah. one that was head on that, that where they they have to attach the camera right. a static camera to him that for some reason that got to me more emotionally than anything was just that shot mm. of of seeing him get, i guess it was supposed to like him getting jerked around by the walkers and stuff looking up and that that was the that was the one that got me out mm. of all of it I hate to prod a little bit more, but like, what was it about? It was, was, it wasn't less, it wasn't the anxiety for me. It was anxiety, but it was like the emotional struggle of having to go through all of that. I'm not really sure why exactly it touched me so much, but maybe it's because partly because of the weird angle. It's not one you normally see. Yeah. And it's made him look really vulnerable because you could see the bottom of his, you know, his throat and all that. And maybe it just made me feel more vulnerable, 
what really did it was the when he was getting jerked around like i don't know they were shaking the camera obviously it wasn't really him but it just looked like he was doing like oh, this and it, it was him i don't know why it just it just yeah. really yeah because it, it was, was attached really to him that was yeah yeah so, was it supposed um, to be yeah, like was... baby moe's point of view <laughs> no, no. <laughs> i don't i don't think so although that would be I don't, scary I mean, she, her face was like, well, then if they were going to do that, yeah, they should have done a filter. Good. And then at the bottom, it would have said baby cam. The motion capture. Speaking of baby Mo, when, when they find her down in the, in the basement and she's in the box, was I the only one that thought about baby Moses getting set uh-huh. afloat in the huh. river? Oh I did gosh. not. <laughs> like for real. I was like, float her out the float her out the fucking tunnel that's so that's so cute i i didn't think of that but now that it's you know what i actually (laughs) instantly thought of when i saw that because the first shot that you see is 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 the box actually going it made me think of fred and b's kid (laughs) for a hot sec (laughs) or or emile's head and morgan jones basket (laughs) (laughs) little box but fred and b that was that's what i thought of at first so there's like a little bit of a like a parallel sort of mirror thing like oh only this baby is alive i thought they're trying to keep her safe so let's shove her in a box are there air holes in there or is she gonna suffocate there were no air holes in that box (laughs) right it's a little scary i'm not touching this one i didn't like it i don't know what to say about that at all Yeah, I don't that that whole scene was a little confusing. Too. Couple like, scenes down they, there, like, you know, they were down there and then they got in the hidey hole and then they came out of the hidey hole and then and they, they went back, back into, into the hidey hole and then they came out again and then the like. Why and I'm like, what is just happening? Walk up the stairs like, and get something. out. Like yeah. you were right there at the staircase. Why didn't you just walk out of the I stairs? I don't know. Also, there were like six walkers. Like they could have literally just went bink 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 when they had the gate up in in the little hidey thing, like. They were, we've seen and less some of those people take pustuly, out more walkers. walkers. That's what I want to focus on too, because that's that's what made me okay with that. Because I was scared for everybody involved down there. As long as there are those kinds of walkers out there, I was scared for both for everybody. Baby Mo, June, <laughs> John Dory Senior. Because I was like, okay, this guy's already okay. He's gone. Because I'm watching the episode again. June, I'm a little scared for you because if you go out there and you don't have help, mm, something's gonna happen. Baby Mo, that's a baby. I've thought this a number of times in a bunch of different Walking Dead shows, but anytime they're like holding something up and their fingers are on the outside right? of it, I'm like, you're mm-hmm. going to get your finger bit, you freaking idiot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what I always think of is their fingers sticking out. And then they were in the water again. So again, I was like, get out of the water. You freaking then, idiot! A, you can't see to the bottom of the floor. There. There's something down there, and he, you're, they're gonna bob stooky you, you moron! Get out of there! <laughs> we know there's crawling walkers outside, so right. <laughs> <laughs> they are constantly putting June in the water. Like every season, she's been in the water yeah. at least once. Mm-hmm. And every time, I panic. Every time, I'm like, no. Every time, which is why I don't sweat that too much. I don't think. Because like, okay, any number of things could have gotten them. Is it as simple as going pop, 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 pop? Does she even have a knife on her even? I'm just thinking too. I don't know. June? Yeah. She was stabbing the walkers when John came down there. Mm. She was down there, wasn't flooded yet, and the, all the sandbags were up there. And she was standing there stabbing the walkers uh, that were in behind the gate in the tunnel because she was going to take baby Mo through the tunnel. Yeah, and I think also the, the main concern was, okay, more walkers were pouring in in the second time they were trying to go out and so 
what June ultimately wants anyways to get baby Mo the hell out of there. So when you realize that that's a fool's errand, but see, that's the thing. I think June was so motivated to get baby Mo. I don't think she would have cared and would have chanced it anyway because she had the gear with her. You're saying like, why didn't she just take them out and go back up the stairs? That's not what she ultimately wanted. She was driven too hard to get baby Mo out of there. But she's a medical professional. She needs to be extra careful because they're always the ones who die. <laughs> but we know that. <laughs> If only we could send a message into Victor's tower. <laughs> Let me send Jenna a message. Jenna, stop, letting, stop putting June in these positions. Because, you know, she June writes needs the show. To be careful. And then meanwhile, she, meanwhile, she goes to you like in private. Do you want me to get killed off the show? Because people who, people who talk to the writers, they don't end up lasting very long. <laughs> Look at look no. at uh, Tom Payne as Jesus. Mm. <laughs> yeah, but I did like John Dory's struggle, John Dory Senior's struggle. Him being like, ah, do you know? I want to do what you say, but like, is this the best plan? Is is Baby Mo and the sub the best plan? Legacy. Him just off the heels of his conversation with Howard. Like, so I get where he's coming from. Like he he has a meeting of the minds with Howard and maybe reminds him of the kind of person that he was. And he was like, well, this is about baby Mo. I want to build her a legacy. But is that is that legacy in the tower? And so him kind of looking back and forth at the at the tunnel and then back up the stairs and the tunnel back up the stairs. I felt that. Why does it have to be so simple? Why can't people be confused and frustrated and be us be OK with that? No, you need to think clearly. We need to enjoy this show. Our good guys need to be good and our bad guys need to be bad. So I was, I was like, I liked it. I liked it. I liked it. I like that it wasn't his clear choice, also. You just sounded like Stuart from Matt TV. <laughs> Our bad guys need to be bad. <laughs> it's like what it reminded me of. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Why doesn't John Dory Sr. kill Victor when he uh, realizes what he's up that's, to? That is a whole other conversation. That we're, is we're the conversation. Now. Yeah. But, well, it relates to Mo, in a sense, I think. Well, first of all, a gunshot in the tower would have brought everybody running up there and he would have been caught out immediately. Good answer. Is what John Dory Sr. wants to kill Strand, though? His primary motivation throughout the last few episodes were to convince him, I think, right? Mm. And not to use violence or death. Maybe he took June's words to heart. Maybe Victor will change you. And by murdering Victor basically in cold blood by shooting him in the back of the head would put him on par. With, with what June says. Is, Victor. Yeah, yeah. I love that. I love that. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. Like, oh, if I kill him now, he is, June is right about him changing me. Hmm. Which would be against his character. Interesting. I love it. Okay. And so maybe that's what gets him to really motivate him to get Baby Mo out of the tower. I don't want this place changing Baby Mo. Is that where we're at? Or shaping her. Yeah. Rather. Molding her. But even still, like, whatever it is, as long as Victor is in charge, it changes you. But I can't be, maybe he's saying, I can't be the one to kill. I'm The writers say I'm not the one who can, because it's against my character. And it would make him, it would make Victor the master over me. Like he was over Howard, in a sense. Because at the end of the day, Victor strings along Howard for this ride. And this is why I say there's a symbiotic relationship between Howard and Victor. Victor has been stringing, stringing Howard along for five five months, let's say, since he found out about, and however long it's been since they've been in the tower, Victor has essentially made Howard the spirit of this tower, the beating heart of this tower. He needs Howard. He needs him to believe. That's why he needs him as a partner. And Howard needs Victor because it's almost as if Howard is enslaved to him by his creative ability to 
find the right people to bring in, the motivated people. I don't think Howard has that skill. Strand needs seems to know people enough to know the kinds of people that need this tower. I don't think Howard has that skill set. I mean, he's a con man. This is basic 101 Victor Strand. And so Howard sees that and he says, I don't know people like that, but I believe in you and I think you know. So they are they have this symbiotic relationship. Oh, I need to build this a, a family, a building that will keep my family safe. Can you help me, Victor? Build a snowman. Uh, and so he does. And so I think they have I think from Howard's perspective, I think that he thinks that this is a symbiotic relationship that where both of them keep this place up. From Strand's perspective is, oh, I just need to string him along long enough to make him believe that he is the beating heart of this tower. People look to him for answers rather than directly at, Strand, at Strand's face. You know, because like when people want things, they kind of usually go to Howard, it seems like, right? When have we seen that? Give me an example. Uh, from the last few episodes, it seems like when people want something, they kind of go to Howard. They don't bother Victor Strand well, directly. Victor was gone well, for Vic some of that. Strand, he was out of the tower, True. yeah. True, So True. But I also think, like, would you want to go up to Victor Strand and ask him a question? Be well, no, uh, possibly like, heated off a roof. He for a long time he was accusing everyone of trying to kill him. So like, yeah. no, well, <laughs> yeah. I don't think so. so then why not Howard, right? And maybe Victor knows that too. Victor kind of wants it to be, "I'm the Pharaoh. Don't look directly at my face. It's too bright. You'll get blinded." It makes you think a little bit. Okay, though, too. fair enough. Fair enough. So like in high school, you know, you got a principal that's Strand, but it's really the vice principal that kind of does all the work that's howard yeah yeah okay uh, yeah that's exactly it really yeah i mean look when you when you want to uh, call your mother because you're sick yeah. or your father or whatever yeah you uh, don't talk to the principal you talk to the administrator right they like, right. talk to somebody right. in the office you yeah. don't walk knock on the principal's you door don't talk you're the one i need to talk to the man in charge yeah excuse me i got shit to do here i got mm -hmm. ideas a brewing <laughs> so the bottom line is howard does keep the place running Victor has the ideas. Howard is the is the execution, essentially. Victor doesn't get his hands dirty. They're dainty. Hmm. <laughs> his laugh. His <laughs> laugh when he goes, ha, ha, ha. Wow. <laughs> that was the second funniest part of the episode. The first funniest was when Wendell was like, you think I could hide a baby? <laughs> What was the thing? Oh, yeah. And the second thing that Wendell does, aren't you going to go gut up, right? Like, aren't we going to tear yeah. some some bodies open and put blood all over you? There's you know no time. I have to record a song. Wait, wait. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I got to cut this album real quick. Guys. Hold on. Wait. So my funniest part of this episode is actually the overhead shot of the first person they eat off the roof. Why is that the funniest part to me? You see Victor Strand playing with baby Mo. But it's not baby Mo. It is so no, obviously a doll. And it's I was just like, no. yeah. do you know how I I knew? Okay. Victor was just, he was just like, like much in the way you would a doll. He was like twisting it left and right, left and right. And so it's little um like uh foam-filled legs were just dangling around. And I was just like, <laughs> whoa. First of all, slow down. That baby's gonna throw up all over you. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, not a real baby. <laughs> No wonder she wasn't safe in the tower. Strand's gonna give her shaken baby syndrome. Yeah, exactly. And does never calls baby Mo baby Mo. He just goes, Hey baby, just a baby. <laughs> of well, course. he can't bring himself to say Morgan or Mo, you I know. know. Oh, right? That's the thing. Why yeah. did he rename that baby? I'm surprised he didn't rename Victoria. it Victoria. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is what you get in the group chat. That's right, Rachel. <laughs> Great minds, Rachel. <laughs> or, or Abby. Hmm, that would be kind of... Call back to the Abigail, right? Yeah. 
Yeah. My cute little Abigail. Burp, burp, burp. I knew it wasn't her because the hair was wrong. I was so distracted by the, the hair of, on, the, on the doll. The the arc-shaped legs that were puffy and they looked puffy. They looked like a Cabbage Patch Kid. <laughs> and, and like they were like and they didn't have weight to them that's what what got to me like when he was when he was twisting baby Mo- you know playing with they were just kind of like flapping in the wind it was just like whoa that's gross and you, weird you heard it here first folks it was actually a cabbage patch doll <laughs> the episoder insider won't give you that kind of fact yeah you kept the squawking dead for this funny shit so now Soldier when people watch the episode they'll be like oh ooh, that is a doll it's not uh you shouldn't do that coleman domingo <laughs> you should know better i always wonder like what kind of decisions were made for that right like did coleman say i would rather not hold the baby or did they say we're not going to do that we're not going to take the chance of anything happening where are those decisions made to say we're going to use a doll for this part the what? parent could have been like, I don't want my child to witness a foe throwing someone <laughs> off a building scene. Yeah. I'm just because... not quite sure how they're going to handle that. No, thank you. Right, because you know that, that that scene isn't filmed on a roof, right? Like, I think that right, when right. they're, so the overhead shot is filmed on a roof. But then when they go back to the person side view of what, what is happening, obviously, it's a soundstage. They're not going to throw a lady off a roof and... First of all, the liabilities. No, no, but like, it's got to be like a place where they can throw her off and there's like a mattress just underneath the, to catch her. Not like, okay, guys, we're going to do this crazy stunt and it, and intentionally put a stunt person in harm's way. No, we can do that on a soundstage. Calm down. We've had people die in this universe before because of stunts. No, no, no mas. No mas, amigo. When you go back to the person shot, it is the little baby actress that is in, in Victor's arms too. But I, here's the thing. I, I looked at it and at first I was just like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's a cabbage patch kid. Coleman Domingo, calm down. But then I appreciated that because there's this silliness of Victor playing with this doll. Victor, let's go. Victor is playing with this doll while somebody's getting fucking janked off the roof. Right. So he's like, la, 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 la. holy shit. What's happening here? <laughs> like what's going on on this side here? So I just thought it was there was a twistedness to it that I kind of appreciated at the end of the day. That juxtaposition between the mundane and the insane that we keep yes. seeing on Better Call Saul. I like the, how you put it. You're like tweaking it, mundane and, and insane. I like it. Let's let's move back into Howard's office. We're going to talk about the thing that we've written all the things down, at least me and Sharon D. So at, I got no. <laughs> same, same. I'm excited. Why don't you start us off? Because like as we go through Howard's office, we do get to see some of the close eye shots of all the things that John Dory Sr. ends up wearing to go into the moat of walkers to plow through. So the first one, actually, the first one I want to bring up was not something John Dory was wearing. It's the Bible with the musket ball in it that's laying on. That's Howard's what I put desk. down first, too. I did some research and I found one that that was in a museum in Texas. It was in the Houston Museum. And it's Sam Houston Jr.'s Bible yeah. from the Battle of Shiloh. And th- that was in a Houston museum. And we know, of course, that Howard went around and was taking stuff from museums. So, And that's the only, that's the only instance I could find in Texas for, for the Bible with the musket ball through it. Although there are lots and lots of instances. Throughout history, throughout history yeah. Um, this one obviously had to be Civil War before. Bingo. Because it was a musket ball and not a bullet. Yeah. The one that they particularly used in this episode shot is like a almost like a little replica of the charles merrill's american civil war bible this is one that was stopped by a musket ball he was 
in the Battle of Chancellorsville. He was from uh, Massachusetts. Now, this particular ball, like, so we're talking about the Civil War. Why does that make sense? Because we're currently in a Civil War-ish thing, yeah, right? Civil War. Okay. This is why I was more convinced it was that than it was the Sam Houston one, which I did look up. And I ultimately wrote this one instead of the same, because I knew you would bring it up. So I'm like, okay, let's leave that for charity. So what ended up happening was because of the story, he wrote to President Lincoln and he said, here is the very Bible. And he fought for the Union soldiers too. This is the very Bible that stopped the bullet, this musket bullet. And he sends it to Lincoln. Lincoln sends him a brand new spanking new Bible with an inscription from him on it saying, I forgot, I didn't write down what he actually said, but it was kind of a, a touching thing. But why it's important is obviously the Civil War. Like, we want to uh, illustrate Civil War, you know, at least, and, and evoke that at least. So why I feel like it's the Sam Houston Bible is because every single one of the artifacts in Howard's office that they focused on was connected to Texas in some way. Every single one of them. Chancellorsville was in Virginia, and that guy was in Massachusetts, yeah. so... I, I can I feel like it's the Sam Houston one. Although he, just simply because of location. he does say don't touch this one, so maybe it isn't from from Texas. He's like, no, 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 all the Texas ones you can touch. <laughs> this one is not from Texas. Please don't touch it. <laughs> don't but but if you look at the pictures of what I'm talking about now, it's probably going to be on the screen. It is literally it, mm. what they showed in the shot looks literally like that mm. Charles Merrill's musket ball Bible because it's like you said, it's a musket ball. The one from Sam Houston was not. I, I read the caliber of the bullet in it and, yeah, and the it, hole it, is it tiny looks yeah. it looks different but like i said what tied it in for me was the texas it history was, it yeah. was something that had took it was something that took place in texas and along with all of the other artifacts that were in the room. honestly i struggled with this, this one too because i wanted it to be the the sam houston one but the sam houston one the bullet hole in the sam houston was was tiny it's much yeah it's a lot smaller mm -hmm. yeah near the spine at the top left the boxing gloves are from Jack Johnson. This is what it says on the ticket. Jack Johnson, 1878 to 1946. He was called the Galveston Giant. Yep. He was from Galveston. Um, did you figure out the the doubt the hockey pads? The, oh yeah, the pads? yeah. That I did, but let's. Pads from can the we Dallas Texans. can we focus yeah. on the the boxing gloves? Because I wrote some interesting facts about each of these. First heavyweight African American American boxer in the world. He won the title during the Jim Crow era. The expression "the Great White Hope." comes from his challenger, the who wanted to reclaim his title. And this is, of course, Jim Crow era. Jeffries was white. Jeffries was his opponent. Obviously, he loses in his rematch, which sparks racist acts all across, in big cities all across the country. We're not talking about, like, in the middle of nowhere. We're talking about New York City, uh, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, etc. Interesting fact, John Arthur Jack Johnson, he had a kind of checkered past. In history, we don't know the details of why he ended up landing himself in prison I mean, essentially, he was accused of violating the Mann Act, which is basically taking women across the border to to do illicit behavior, illicit activities. He was married mm -hmm. several times. And his his wives were white, which is also right. a very salient point in the Jim, Jim Crow. Right, uh, right. Well, his yes, exactly. And so that's why it's so confusing. It, he He had been known to beat his wives. But here's the thing. So many people have tried to advocate posthumously for his par his pardon from his 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 prison sentence let's say and his prison sentence was a year and a month so it wasn't it wasn't even that long but the fact that he had this record it, it made it so that he couldn't box again that ended his career essentially but up until president trump so reagan was asked to pardon him even obama was asked to pardon him he couldn't do it they asked trump to do it and he and sylvester stallone managed to get trump to actually pardon him posthumously and i, th I thought that was kind of cool actually after all these years does this help us with like theories 
going no, forward at all. But it does illustrate legends. It's just the little details that they put in for us to, to follow. Yeah, these are all know. people who have um, legacies, you know, and they're checkered okay. and not well, perfect. Okay, well, there you go. I mean, that, yeah. that right there ties it in, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and John okay. like wears so, these um, legacies. It's great. Right, I got right. I got a little tie-in for you. The armor yes. that John looks at is, it says on the ticket that's on, it says 16th, and believe me, I had to look really hard to read that. <laughs> I got it too. 16th century Conquista breastplate recovered from Mission San Francisco de la Espada. The first Spanish, uh, this was the first Spanish mission in East Texas. It was founded in 1690. Under threat of Native American attack, the priest burned it in 1693. It was rebuilt in 1716 as Nuestra Padre. San Francisco, Ooh. Las Tejas. Our our father was abandoned again. In our father of Texas. <laughs> it's not the Padre. Padre yeah, yeah. Sixteenth century armor that was found in the the mission. After Spanish it was armor. Yep. Mm. Yeah. Re several times too. Like so, they kept relocating it, fleeing it, re leaving it, fleeing mm. it, leaving it, fleeing it. But all what? Yes. Because their their initial mission was to convert the Native Americans every single time. And there was always this struggle between... And the natives were like, no. no. I mean, some did. Some did. But, like, there was this rebellious nature from the Native Americans. Why? We we're trying to give them God. But the problem is, every time they tried to do it, they kept fleeing. The people who established the church kept fleeing. Or relocating. Or coming back and relocating. Never mind the fact that, they, that the Spanish were, were trying to... There was, always this, there was always this tension between the Spaniards and the French. Because of territorial conflict. So that was, uh, that was all in the backdrop of this one mission that they were trying to do and kept fleeing. So there's something interesting about mm -hmm. the tower, the idea of converting people into this idea of like, Oh, this is the only way. But then instead of like the tower, people were fleeing. They, they ended up abandoning the mission and say every three years, essentially too, by the way, or something yeah, like that. Much. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. So uh, like to contrast, yeah what the tower means yeah. versus what the mission means the ultimately the mission well, means well it's fitting that john that senior who is a father in texas would have on the armor of the father of texas right mm. <laughs> handshake this is a handshake yeah very well done i love it and what was he doing fleeing fleeing <laughs> Love it. <laughs> go rachel go doesn't that kind of explain our setting from like in every show every single one of them because they constantly are going somewhere and then burning it down yeah. and moving Destroying somewhere else it. and then burning yeah. it down yeah. moving somewhere else and burning it down yeah this, yeah. Is, this is your biggest critique like guys <laughs> don't see. let them in the tower they'll just burn it down <laughs> and your dreams and your hopes it's not like they mean it, guys. Shut the fuck up. Don't do it. Morgan, don't step foot in the tower. First of all, it's not even about the baby Mo and all your friends. You'll burn it down. You just, you mm -hmm. can't help yourself. <laughs> the helmet on the ticket, it said World War I Doughboy helmet belonging to Medal of Honor winner Private David B. Barkley. David Bennis Barkley. 1917 through 1918. Bennis. I could not make out that word yeah. to save my life. Yeah. Of the U.S. Army. It was awarded posthumously. He won the award by swimming the Meuse River and reconnoitering German positions under heavy fire, and he drowned on the way back. He's from San Antonio, Texas. That was why it was the connection to Texas. Aww. Yeah. Which, maybe that he's Charlie. He gets sent to reconnoiter positions, and it ended up dying. Cla oh, that's me clapping. Sorry for the 
people who can't see me clapping. Yeah. And funny enough, he just like uh, Jack Johnson, the Galveston giant, he actually, his full name is actually David Bennis Barkley Kentu. So when he enlisted, he actually used his father's Anglo name or his mother's Anglo name. I forget which, but yeah, he, he was worried that when he enlisted that they would segregate him from the rest of the soldiers like they had commonly done throughout history. So like Civil War, a lot of the black soldiers were in the black uh, platoon or battalion. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So he was afraid that they would do that to him, whether it's by design or like also socially, like sometimes soldiers would just naturally segregate themselves from one another. Obviously throughout time, for the last hundred years, that's been less of the case, but yeah. And then he ends up getting the Medal of Honor posthumously too. You're right. Like you said, getting in, intel behind enemy lines in the German lines in World War One. Really cool. Mm-hmm. But again, legacy. This is the legacy. And and he is a lot like John Dory Sr. in that respect, because he does the right thing for the right reasons and pays the price for it. Mm-hmm. You know, that's kind of sweet. And he, he wears that all over his body. All these legends speaking through him. Kind of cute. Mm-hmm. Including the Dory. Does he wear the Dory Dory's boots? legacy. Yes, those are the Dory boots he's got That's on. so cool. Well, the Driscoll. The Driscoll boots. Jedi Driscoll, Driscoll boots. Which Jedi is kind Driscoll. of weird yes. because what is that from? We have to illustrate exactly what it was. The second JD shot and killed Deadeye Driscoll in Blackwater. And he even got his picture in the paper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the second the second, the second of the six because John Dory Jr. was the sixth. Right. In the line. Dory. Right. So, right. so we um, find this out from JD, one, right? I think it was. Yes. The episode JD of last year. JD. I've already made a meme. I've already memed good, it. It's, it's in my phone. Good. And it's going on the screen now. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I just love that little factor. Yeah. Like it's a little bit of John Dory. Mm-hmm. He made he made Howard's Howard's uh, room of curios. Is his history mm-hmm. of Texas history. I wonder if Howard ever put it together. John Dory and Probably. Dory actually, and I think, which is why I think he wanted him as one of his his top guys too. Why not? Right. I mean, what we're doing here is on the side of the angels. So I need an angel. <laughs> I'm, I like that those little details aren't really consequential, but I love that they put those little things in there for us to find. That's one of the things I love most about these shows like this and Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. It doesn't further the story or anything, but it just gives you that little bit more to think about. In, in it, if you want to take the time to look all that stuff up. Well, yeah. I, like, I, I like that do, the general <laughs> <laughs> yeah i just i like that the general theme for this episode was about legacy like you said like leaving a legacy what's that going to be what's it going to look like and then here we see a room full of artifacts from legends who left a legacy you know good bad in between whatever but, yeah um, yeah that's you know, the most and then, that's like what i like said, about it most yeah senior covers himself in all of this you know yeah. to protect himself you know i i think yeah I, or to help I, him I like along too. You know? i didn't right yeah i didn't take the time to research all of that but i'm so glad you guys did. you know and i would. do like the yeah i i i do all this for for walking dead because i know you guys will cover fear so i don't need to work so hard for this one <laughs> you know what though do you know why i love doing that all of the stuff that sharon and i do mean nothing without you nothing i'll tell you why because <laughs> i don't know if this is gonna make the episode but i'm gonna say it out loud anyway when we had done this podcast initially i was that guy and it was just me and Carol. Carol brings up a good point. What the podcast started to become was all about the Easter eggs and the pixel hunting and, and finding out what was on the screen and, and, and kind of like bringing that to the light for people who may have missed it. Where it was about to go, because I pushed it in that direction, is, is just that. Carol brought up a good point, And that's, you know, we need to have more of a natural back and forth. 
Stop looking at your notes. Take them, but don't look at your notes as much. I haven't looked at my notes mm, until just now. What she said was right, but what we said is also right. But here's the thing. If you do bring up a pixel hunt and a fact, fact finding mission and, and, and all these things that you can research on your own and you know, you're not going to do it, but we're going to do it for you. It means nothing if there's not a, a backboard of which somebody actually, actually cares and has a thought on it. Otherwise you're just saying things and it's kind of boring. But when you brought up that <laughs> legends thing, you're like, well, what's the, David, what's the point to all of this? Mm-hmm. Legacy. I mean, it's cool. And then you, and then you like went back and forth, and you're like, up. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you brought you you made what we brought to the table worth it because you had that factoid <laughs> that completed the circle. See, That's it. guess what? Teamwork makes the dream work. Pating. That's how I knew we did it. We did right. That's how I know this is a success story in the making. One more factoid. Uh, we almost skipped over it. The hockey pads. I didn't know those ho- those were hockey pads at first. I, di- I didn't either. I looked up Dallas because the Dallas Texans were a football team, I thought, but not in 1941. In 1941, they were a hockey team that lasted exactly from 1941 to 1942. <laughs> they were legends in their own time. So <laughs> not a success. Yeah. Not, not. Well, it was the it was the AH, the American Hockey Association, which is I, th- I think was became defunct rather quickly. Mm-hmm. And then it became the mm. National Hockey League. It was like the, oh, right, the, the, NHL, the extreme right. football yeah. league of the 1940s. Yeah. Well, you know, in, in the 30s and 40s and in well, the 20s, 30s and 40s, like there were organized sports didn't really exist in the way that national we organized sports. Mm-hmm. Now. Yeah. It was local. local like Dallas had a team and Houston would have a team and they would all, you know, all the Texas teams would play. Each yeah, other regionally. Right. Um, right. It wasn't until really. I would say probably the 40s and 50s after the war that they started centralizing sports. Right, with the advent of of commercial flights. Right. Those little leagues, they just didn't last long, especially if you had a war come up. You know, like uh, we saw it in um, League of Their Own, where when all the guys went off to war, they had the girls form this local little league that played around Illinois because they were in Racine, Chicago, I can't remember the places, but Joliet was just these little. Te- you know, and those those this didn't last, and especially once the organization of sports came along. Well, and of course, I know way more about football than other sports, but I'm sure they all kind of went the same way. Yeah. So the hockey heavy pads, they didn't have like a name of who wore them or anything. And I, I don't know anything about hockey. I was assuming they were goalie, but I found a list of all the people that played on the team in 1941. Yeah. But um, I, I couldn't make out. I couldn't assign them to anybody on the team. Right. Nobody's. I, I couldn't figure out who they were. As far as I could tell, the only the only real significance was it was Texas's first hockey team, nineteen forty one yeah. debut. Yeah. No real heavy heavy significance as far as legacies go. I mean, the legacy of being the only team and then not really being one anymore. That's that's funny to me because you don't think of Texas as a like a icy place. Um, Texas has the Dallas Stars as the only NHL team. I don't know shit about hockey, so yeah. I didn't look into enough to see if there would be a sort of significance to the show. I have a Walking Dead hockey fact. Walking Dead alum, Teddy Bear Girl, a.k.a. Addie Miller, is an intern for the Carolina Hurricanes, which are North Carolina's hockey team. Mm -hmm. Cool. Go, Addie. (laughs) You go, girl. The thing that I thought funny was it looked like he wore them upside down, which which is kind of... (laughs) Yeah, because like the knee, the the, the, the hard... Round parts are supposed to go over the knee. Right, it was on his ankles. ankles. <laughs> yeah, but more protection from biting, more protection from ankle biters. Which is he the, was looking for baby mouse. Which is the bulk of what's out there. Out there. Like Howard's, yeah, yeah. the robots. Yeah. Right. He knew, 
he knew most of them would be crawling, so he had to protect the ankles. Man, all the all the, the all the walkers they had yeeted off the roof. <laughs> all the newborn walkers. What a great trap. <laughs> all the wills of the world. When Victor says to John Dory Sr., I need you on this when it comes to finding baby Mo. Because he needs the Dory spirit. He was talking about how he made the truck parts into a boat to go over the that river mm. peninsula thing. So to get to Laura or June, whatever. And then <laughs> and John Dory Sr. basically says he cared about the right things. And I thought that was very a very cool way of being the spine of this episode. Because for a little while, John Dory Sr. didn't know what what the right things were. He like he knew generally speaking, it's all about baby Mo. It's all about baby Mo. But like he didn't know exactly where baby Mo would end up. But I just thought it was kind of a good caption for this episode. He cared about the right things. How to get to that right thing is a whole other story. Do we plant evidence? He does all the things in this episode, whether right or wrong, bad or good. But then he finally decides, Let me, let's try for once. No, I'm kidding. But let's try doing the right thing for the right reasons and seeing how that works out. And it does. It was scary as fuck. Because like I said, you had the problem with the guts. You had the problem with the song and the... I had a problem with doing the thing to begin with. I was just like, don't do it. Nobody on this, on any of these shows would have done it. It's too dangerous. Stop doing it. Don't do it. Don't go out there. He does it. And then it makes me have a better appreciation for what he actually does. He didn't make it through, obviously. And, uh, you know, we send him off to the sunset like a true cowboy <laughs> getting eaten by walkers. He and John walking off in the sunset together on a cloud. <sighs> Sunny boy. He and his sunny boy. Reunited at last. Mm. Reunited in heaven. That's something. The angel John Dory Jr. was lonely, too. So he said, hey, dad, why don't you come up here and play ball with me? Don't cry. <laughs> don't laugh. <laughs> what should we do? You made it? I don't know. <laughs> and John Jr. said, what? What the f- and John Jr. said, what the hell are you wearing? <laughs> there's, no ba- there's no baseball in heaven. <laughs> <laughs> There's no dying in baseball. <laughs> so hockey. I'm sure there's been dying in hockey. There has to have been. You know what? We, we really need to talk about Wes. What is your feeling on Wes at the moment? With everything he said, all his lapdogginess, trying to do the things for Victor. I think it's too early to talk about Wes. <sighs> That's what I'm afraid you would say. <laughs> <laughs> well, how does it make you feel to see him with victor though in this moment initial gut reaction what do you think is going through his mind or what do you how does it feel to see him victor's lapdog i feel like he's playing victor like he's just playing like he wants to be his friend and he's on his side because he has to have seen in the short time he's there that being victor's second in command is not a place you want to be (laughs) but now he's not a super permanent job but he wants that (laughs) he's he's vying for that position what do you think about me taking on that role well, who is there for him to vie with? Everybody's dead. (laughs) (laughs) Guys, you know what? That should be Morgan's strategy, right? It's like, no, I don't have to step foot in this thing. You're just going to throw off everybody except for maybe Wes. And Wes is going to be like, I'm the last one here. I'm going to be the next one thrown off the roof. (laughs) It's just like, but Victor's going to have to do it himself. Uh, Wes, yeet yourself. (laughs) Do you think Wes is feeling like he deserves the punishment? Because he didn't get the answers he wanted about his brother. And now he's feeling like he never will. And so now he's feeling upset and he can't justify his actions. And maybe he's at the tower to punish himself. Maybe he thinks he deserves yeeting. 
Oh, oh, I didn't think you were going to go that far. So you took what I said about this is hell and we're all devils to the next level. Like, okay, I don't care if he eats me off the roof, if it comes to it. Like Sharon, he said, maybe while he's there, he's going to try and fuck as much shit up as possible while knowing I could bite it at any day, anytime. Damage from the inside. The obvious question or obvious answer somebody could come up with, and which I think a lot of people think, is that like Wes is there to... I think so, I, I don't know if we ended up saying this in last episode, but he could be there to make sure Morgan wins or make sure that Morgan never has to step foot in that tower because because Wes will handle it. Like, I, I don't want Daniel anywhere near this tower because that's what they're going to do. But if I take Victor out or if I make sure Victor doesn't hurt anybody else or if I influence Victor in such a way that he can't hurt anybody else, Morgan won't need to come in. I could call him on the radio and say, hey, I've got the Victor situation under control. You don't have to send Daniel People don't have to be people. Maybe that could be the answer. Okay. Okay. I like I like that. I like that. If he steps in and does what needs to be done, then Daniel doesn't need to be tortured. Right. I, I like that. I do. Li- I like that. So yeah. he puts his body on the line instead mm-hmm. of making Daniel. You're like, everybody yeah. push Daniel into the tower because it's obviously good for him. Yeah. No. And, and we were all asking, like, why go to the tower? Yeah. I could see that being his motivation. You know who along. we have like, to I'm credit gonna... for that? We have to credit uh, Walani, Walani on Instagram because she kind of suggested that Will is like a, he's putting himself in the position of being like a sleeper guy. Like, OK, I can take care of this. I used her idea to form that okay. opinion. To, to, nice. Good job, Walani. Yeah. But I think rather it's like him putting his body on the line instead of making Daniel go on the line. I'm putting myself so he doesn't have to go through it. I like, I like that. that. I like mm-hmm. that a lot. That feels that feels good to me. I like it. And it means Wes is still a good guy at heart. That he's not turned to a shitbag. <laughs> yeah. Or that he doesn't feel like he is a shitbag. So he has to do this mm-hmm. thing or he, he has to join the demons in hell that mm-hmm. he is. Except I don't think he's a shitbag for jumping shit. Nobody, nobody thinks Especially that. Especially when he saw. No, 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 when no. When he saw Lucy trick Daniel. He felt revolted. But I think he felt like, listen, I'm going to live my truth. And if I live my truth, I'd rather be living <laughs> than die. Yeah. Well, well, I was saying he's not a shitbag because it, because it, like at the. When he first went there, like some of the things I was thinking, like, is he going to join Victor? Is he going to start fighting against our group, making him a shitbag? <laughs> but that's I don't see it going that way now. No, I really think he's a sleeper. Mm-hmm. I hope so. I that's that's what I want to. You know, that's what I want to believe. Wouldn't it be fun if he's not? Wouldn't it be fun if he really yeah. turned to Victor's side? I like it nope. when they throw the curveballs at us. Nope. I like my good guys to be good. <laughs> I, I was I was thinking that as well, because it could go either way and I'd actually be fine either way. To be perfectly frank, just on a story level. The writers are like, hey, we're going to make him think that Wes is going to... The audience is automatically going to think Wes is a sleeper. Let's make him not yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah I'm, I'm all it. for that. Yeah. B- yeah. But it could be either. It could be... Oh, this is something nobody thought of. We always thought Howard was going to be the one to yeet Victor off the roof <laughs> until... Mm-hmm. But then what if Wes is really just himself? Like the unassuming Wes is trying to vie for power. We're all in hell and we are all devils. So I might as well be the top devil because fuck it. <laughs> fuck it, guys. I would be a better leader than Victor anyway. At least I could maybe run this w- this place. Yeah, Wes, if I'm Wes. You think Wes sees, you think Wes sees himself as a leader, though? Well, we don't know what he thinks, but like, what if? Like, we wouldn't see that coming, in essence. Oh, definitely not. I don't yeah. see Wes as a leader. Yeah. So I would his, not see that coming. <laughs> his criteria would be a little different than Victor's. Are you people as, pe- are you people, as people? No. Do you okay, suck? Come on in. Okay. Do, you, do you suck? <laughs> did, 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 did you kill a family member? Oh, I don't know. Maybe How you don't sound good. How many people have you killed? Right. Were they your brother? 
Yeah. <laughs> was it your brother? Were they my brother? Okay, you can come in. Daniel? Anyway, <laughs> whatever. Hang up. Hang up. <laughs> just live alone in the tower, Wes. That wouldn't that be something? Wes just uses it for himself and brings it down. Okay, sorry, I'm going a little too far. Anyway, the reason why we're going out there is because we're all, I mean, even if we think of all the reasons why he could be doing this, like we're still in that mystery box of like, we, we, we really don't know. We're, we're assuming, but we really don't know what his intentions are with the tower. And I like it. I like it. I don't like it. I'm nervous. I don't like it, but I like it. Right? Like you, I'm like, oh, Wes, what are you doing? You're a good guy. I'm- I'm nervous at this point. It's like, I have no idea what direction they're going to go. I feel like any theory we come up with is going to be like the opposite of what they end up doing. <sighs> Honestly, losing Howard. I don't even know what to think anymore. My brain is just mush after that. Next week on Fear, Victor hires Kim <laughs> <laughs> To defend yeah. him in court. <laughs> to defend him. more crimes. <laughs> Kim's going to have a very stern talk with Morgan. <laughs> what? Morgan? Oh my god, I would pay so much money to see that. But guess who defends Morgan? You need to get your shit in order. <laughs> yeah, but what if Morgan what, what if Morgan hires Saul Goodman? Oh. Ooh, Wexler versus Goodman all Good. over again. Wexler v. Goodman. Yeah, Kim is winning that one. I'm sorry. I don't know. Kim always wins. Let's be honest. Kim always wins. What if that is the scenario, though? What if they do pit them? Sorry, we're talking about Breaking Bad now. <laughs> crossing universes crossing, yeah AM, amc is the one that chose to put them on at the same time so blame them mm-hmm. my brain is mm-hmm. all mush. plus they put the blue map just, in just merle's the... drug bag so it's their fault they also named the guy that was supposed to take the charger back on breaking bad glenn and then they gave mm-hmm. us arno yeah. and arlo and it's the same actor they've done all of this yeah, yep. it's all and we know what Nabila was, oh, so and we know what was doing hey, before the apocalypse Howard, too. Now Howard was a lawyer. Howard was a, a fed in um, Breaking Bad, uh, Better Call Saul. Howard, was oh the in, actor who uh, plays yeah, Howard, he was. okay, yeah, 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 yeah. He, was he from he was, Texas? Uh, like a, <laughs> no, he was. He funnier. was the fed that one of the feds that was after Mike. I see. I in see. the episode where where Mike was about his son, one hundred five. Omid Abtahi, nice, nice. Making some yep. tracks in the Arlo Howard was his name on the show How- Howlard. Uh, <laughs> I'm not even sure they gave him one. Uh, Agent like number, number two. One. Yeah, <laughs> Loward instead. Loward, Loward, <laughs> or Noward. Howard, Howard, and Hayward. So oh, okay. Hayward would have been. Be- yeah, that's a better name. <laughs> See, Rachel, always Howard saving our asses. <laughs> I, I, I have the now that we're laughing i have the dumbest thing that maybe you guys heard as well okay when john dory senior is handing off baby mo to morgan i'm wearing headphones two separate times i hear over baby mo's cries i hear the word the somebody a, a man saying help but it's really the baby crying and this is like i know this is one of those things mm-hmm. is this like, yeah 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 i almost said yanni is that what it was what? <laughs> Yanni. No. Oh, n- forget Yanni, what I said. Wait, how did Yanni come into the conversation? <laughs> Do you remember when people you, would argue over that you, word and they would say that it was this word? But yes. no, it was this oh, one. What I know what you're that? talking about now. Yeah, I forget. Yeah. There's a term for it too. When you hear Yanni yeah, versus something else. But is it Yanni yeah. or am I just saying Yanni? Because I just talked to Rachel about the musician Yanni. We were just talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> 
Yanni or Laurel? Laurel. That's Yanni, a- Yanni or Laurel? Yes. Silas did show that to me a few weeks ago. I feel like, it or something like the similar. Blue dress or yellow dress. Yes, except mm-hmm. with yeah. except with sound. This was now like this, comes up, sound. this was like a couple years ago. It all has to do with <laughs> frequencies and sound, basically. So what when I was hearing Baby Mo cry in that cry, it actually jumped out at me. And maybe the, oh, so. See, I'm in. I'm on a panel with all women, and I heard this. I heard help twice from Baby Mo's cries because it was in a lower frequency, a man's register. Mm. And so it's kind of interesting hmm. if you hear, I see, I'm just going to say, if you hear, listen closely, but you may not be able to, because the phenomenology is women can often hear sounds that register in the higher frequencies and men can often hear sounds in the lower registries They we tend to hear or pick up those frequencies a lot better. Age has a lot to do with it too. If you're older, you will hear some frequencies versus other frequencies. So some will hear Yanni and some will hear Laurel. And so guys in the audience, if you hear what I'm hearing, you, you heard the word somebody yelled the word help help twice i need somebody hit hit me up no 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 no, not not like that but in two separate frames in two separate instances i heard that and i'm like what is going on in my ears who's yelling help is that baby mo's cries it sounds like a 30 year old smoker that's that's what it sounded like okay so to so to like ask a really stupid question, it it wasn't in the song or anything, right? No. It wasn't part of the recording it, that was playing. It was just random to me, and then I then okay. at the end of okay. the day, I attributed it to Baby Mo's cries. Like her her cries were so often and so uh, frequent that like her voice did something in the frequency, like okay. registered in some fashion that made me hear the word help. Or somebody, a, a man weird. saying help. It was very weird. It was jarring because it happened twice. I'm like, I'm not crazy. I heard help twice. I'm, I'm what if aim- we find out Morgan has is carrying a walkie and you actually did hear it? Oh, I'm going to. Oh, God. Because here I am thinking like somebody's fucking with me. Like somebody on the show is like, let's just insert help twice and like see what schmuck hears it. I'm right. Like I'm going to rewatch the end of it. I'm going to rewatch the end of it today on the computer so I can get it through the headphones. Yeah, listen yeah, with headphones. Get it in, yeah. in the ears. You'll hear. You may or may not hear it. You may or may mm. not hear it. It's very interesting. I I'm, no, no, I feel I bad bringing it up because it means nothing to the show. Has no substance. But I can't be crazy. I don't want to be crazy. <laughs> I mean, unless unless we find out Morgan has a walkie on him and somebody was calling through at that moment. And the problem is they didn't react to it. <laughs> so like, oh my god, I mean, they're trying to get a fast one on me. Maybe this is this is like on. subliminal, man. <sighs> On the old Saturday Night Live subliminal man. Oh my goodness. There's someone on the fear team that's like, help me. <laughs> it sounded like, like a scream. It sounded like somebody like yelling for help. Like a man yelling for help. Help. It's like an, help. an editor. He's like, help. <laughs> <laughs> they fired all the Dave. Dave. It's me. I'm Dave, yelling for That help. was just your own brain. <laughs> it was your own brain echoing inside your head. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, I've had to do for days. <laughs> do you need me? <laughs> how, how can I help you? <laughs> what am I? It's the person asking for help is you, Dave. What do you mean, Dave? Oh no, he's talking to himself. What are you doing, Dave? <laughs> what do you think about John Dory finally saying to June at the end of the day, you help me see it's never too late. You couldn't be faulted for when John Dory Jr. says it's never too late to everybody. And then he finds out that it, it was for him 
you know, and then and then you finally get this return here of like, it's never too late. My brain kind of broke in this moment because I was trying to remember when John's on the door, doesn't he say there's still time? Isn't that the line? He says it's not too late. He, he doesn't say there's more time. He says it's not too late. It's never it's too late. It's not too late. It's okay, never so too late. I was trying to associate it with that scene, but the lines weren't matching up for me. So my brain broke and I couldn't really <laughs> focus on the sentimental <laughs> moment because I was trying. Yeah, because I was trying so help. hard to. Con- <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I heard I heard help right then, so I couldn't hear the line. <laughs> it it did the thing though. Like it worked. It still worked because he delivered the line and then I immediately went to John right after he got shot and like that's where my brain took me. But then I was like, but that's not what he said. That's not the it wasn't the same line. It, so it, then I it was. Yeah. Kind of missed it. I mean, it was similar, but it wasn't the same line. I mean, it was the same meaning. But it wasn't the same line. So so my brain was like, uh eh. Well, like, I think you also have to remember the like, moment. John even that line from John Dory Jr. was he was quoting his father. It's never too late. Mm-hmm, essentially. Mm-hmm. So it's kinda cool to see him do that. And and the sentiments there too, you know? Yeah, yeah. And like I said, it still worked. I mean, it yeah, that scene still took me to where I needed to go. Still made me cry. <laughs> I wanted to cry, but I didn't. I didn't either. I, yeah, I, I didn't yeah. in the moment. More... I mean, obviously, I've like teared up pretty hard. Both oh, the times second I watch was it. it. But um, yeah, yeah, I didn't I sh- in the moment. I say I wanted to cry. I felt it and I felt sad, but it was also like the happiness that it was resolved and that it came full circle and that he did the right thing. And so even though it was like a really sad moment, yeah, it was there was some joy there. That's what I was mm-hmm. saying. Like it. it in some ways, like it kind of vindicated John Jr. It, it had always bothered me that like, but John, you, you you figured it out too late or it it was too late for you. And I get it. It didn't work out for John Jr., but it did work out for John Sr. He was trying to do the right thing with Dakota, I think, but it didn't work out for him. But for John Sr., I mean, equally, yes, in some way, it worked out for him in the sense that he was protecting this legacy of a child, like you know, this child can go on without having her brain twisted by a madman, essentially. And so that worked. I think he was trying with Dakota. It didn't quite work, but not he would have not liked himself for not trying to help Dakota, yeah. I think, just because you don't live past that moment. I mean, it's, there's something interesting about these two Dorries trying to do the right thing and then dying for it heroically. I just broke myself mm. down. <laughs> Doesn't that feel a little bit like it sucks that they both had to die in a bad way and like, why do these Dorries have to die on this show? Why couldn't we have one angel well, baby mean, Dory on this show? Well, I mean, I enter Dawn. Dory. One reason. <laughs> Dawn. Dawn and Dawn. Dawn and Dawn. Dawn and Dawn. <laughs> one of my friends brought this up a while ago. Do you think that the John Sr. storyline was originally supposed to be John Jr.? And they had written out this entire storyline mm. for John Jr.? And then when Garrett decided to leave, they were like, oh, shit, what do we do now? Hey, let's bring his dad, John Sr., and he can just jump into the slot that John was, John Jr. was supposed to fill. That's a bit complicated because then Ginny would have had to pull one over on him twice by way of Victor, let's say. That's what I'm saying. Although they could have obviously rerouted the story to make it work. So you could do something like that again. But I think this only works if John Dory is gone. So I, I see what you're saying. Obviously, the path could still be written in the same way. I just don't think I don't think they would have had the same story, though. C- could it have been better, though? I don't know, because I think after season five, 
there was a concerted effort, obviously, to bring in these end of end is the beginning people, which could mean that the nuke was always going to be something that was in play. So did they think that far ahead? I'm not sure. But you bring up a good point. I'll say that much. It was just something interesting. I mean, because I, I can see John Jr.'s path going the same seniors did very easily. And to think of it that way almost negates all of the the good that we just got. Because I liked that this complicated relationship that he had with his dad that had played a part in like all of his story had come back. I, I really I liked that. Or most of it. Yeah. Most of his story. Yeah. I mean, not every single part, but you know, You're right. It was woven all through. Let's take another minute on this because I almost think that Garrett maybe have wanted to leave right after season five, literally. So obviously they bring up the concept of his father in season six, I'm going to say. And so they built the story around him leaving. So yeah, as much as you want to say they could have had this whole story with John Dory, it allowed them to actually do this mirror of season six in season seven with a different actor. In my mind, you couldn't do that with the same person. It would have to be a different person. It'd have to be a different Dory. Like, because you can't do the same thing twice and accept for us, accept us to, to fall for it. But if you, if you sub in a different guy, well, then we're playing with themes like a dark mirror of the last season. Because obviously Victor is repeating tactics used by the end of the beginning people. Ginny, a little cult-like behavior, a little controlling communications, as cults do. Then you have the dark mirror of him mirroring Ginny, Ginny's rangers, the holding. Killing people horrifically. Yeah, yeah, in public displays. So it wouldn't work if it was if it was John Dory, I don't think. You can't fall for the same trick twice. These two seasons would have had to have been with the intention of him leaving, period. But it's fun to play with. It does break our brain just a bit. <laughs> Jenna said she knew from 2019 in September that that, that was the way it was going to go. And that that was after, right after, right after season, season five. five yeah. So I'm sure it was on the table. Just after it filmed. Um, which is way earlier. Right, right. Yeah. Which, yeah, you okay. So in real terms, this is good to remind the audience of when the pandemic struck, they were showing us previews just during that period of time where like February, like March, April, where they were thinking, okay, we're coming out in April again to bring the first part of season six. You know, they're showing us previews. We broke down that trailer initially over the pandemic. And then they said, okay, no, we're delaying that until fall and so garrett's had all this time just after filming season five a lot of time just as after se- filming season five to say hey maybe we should go maybe maybe i should go and so they built the story that's that whole season six was hit that was him getting ready to go essentially i feel like i need to cap this off by saying because with all the things that we've said about this episode i really did end up liking this episode i like the fact that he didn't know where everybody stood i think that deserves highlighting because from all we're saying, we're almost saying we didn't like this episode, but we I did. I got to see a lot of interesting character development from June herself, like how far she's willing to go to do the right thing for the right reasons, according to her. You could easily say, what is June doing? Obviously, baby Mo's in the safest place possible, Because that, which is what you've been saying, Sharon D. Yes. Rachel. Yeah. But the fact that she is like, no, this is the right thing to do for the right reasons. We need to get her out of here. First of all, to make, to maybe get... M- Morgan and crew on the sub to make this place a better safe so that she can come back in, let's say. But I like I like that they also introduced the fact of how deadly these walkers really are, these impact crater walkers really are. Because it introduces a very, very awful threat. It makes it so that this tower really is the thing that we need to fight for. Everything hangs in the balance. No, I really did enjoy the episode. And I think, 
I think it's fair to say that it focused on a lot of really human, complex feelings. And so I think it's natural for all of us to have this like really guttural reaction to it then to be like, that doesn't make any sense because humans do want legacies, but like, why? What's the point? Because you're not here anymore. So what does it matter? You know, that's a really complicated thing. And the complications that come from like all the things that happen with family and all that. So there's all these like really visceral feelings, I think, that come up in this episode. And I think that's why all of us had like a really intense reaction to it. But I liked it, even though it made me angry at points. And and there were things that were left unsaid. But that's how life is. So like it just reflects all of that. Did it give me moments of frustration? Of course, but but that's okay. Why else would we watch? Well, it made me feel (laughs) something. And if it made me feel something, then that that's worth it in characters that we actually care about died because like we knew paul for one episode whatever and yet we cared we knew about ali him. for one episode whatever yeah some of you did <laughs> and then um you know last episode we lost arno whatever so finally we lost some people that meant something to us emotionally. and especially to the well, characters we we glom onto too which you know yeah june dory lost yeah. one of her favorite people in the universe at the moment well, and I mean, again, this episode had a lot of June, so of course I'm going to love it. But, I mean, even she wasn't the, the reason I loved it so much. It was because they actually did something that was shocking. I'm inclined to say, no, I didn't like it, but that's only because it made me so mad, which means, obviously, I did like it. Because it, it gave me all the feels, right? <laughs> yeah, so, interesting. It, made me, it, made, it did make me mad, but... I think it was supposed to, right? Maybe. So, well, good it, job, guys. It worked for you. There you go. <laughs> it's like, yeah. oh, but I, I like yeah. that they made me feel that way. Hmm. But I will say, I would like to see some extra heavy movement in the next few episodes because we're almost done here, people, and we haven't done much yet. Yeah. So, let's well, go. I know let's that we don't go. like to talk about teasers, <laughs> but when you watch the teaser for the next episode, I want to say. Did you get that feeling that there was a lot of movement? Because I did. Boats, inflatable boats are boats are inflating (laughs) and on the water and there's a plan in action. People are getting walkers are jumping on people and they get a little nervous. But there's some tension there. What do you guys think? Other than prominently featuring Alicia and Morgan, I'm looking forward to it. Well, maybe they'll do something you like. Well, I mean, Sherry's in it, so I got at least something to look forward mm, to. I see. I see. <laughs> yeah, I, I really need more Sarah in my life. Yeah, I'm hoping I see more of her, too. We, we haven't seen her since Breathe With Me, I, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Well, right? she was in she, Ophelia she, in right, the beginning. In the and, yeah. But yeah, like, yeah. Tiny for, like for a second. second. Yeah, yeah, hot second. I need more. I need more yeah. Sarah. Well, whatever comes our way, we'll break it down. And if you like what you heard, head over to ratethispodcast.com slash squawkingdead or just go to your favorite podcast platform. I recommend Podchaser because I happen to like their interface. It gives us the ability to put our names in the credits and stuff like that. So you get to find out a little bit more about us as a podcast. But hey, use Apple Podcasts, use whatever you like. Just use it every time after every episode's five stars and eggplant is all we need to know that you love us. But... Use it as a sounding board to tell us what you liked, tell us what you didn't like, tell us anything after every episode. And if you like what we are doing as a podcast, you're invested, you really like what we're doing, why don't you head over to ko-fi.com slash squawking dead and just follow us? Because when you do, 
It lets us know that you're interested in seeing what comes next. You can take part in our recording sessions, lending your thoughts to this conversation, adding little bits of information that we may not have heard of, or reacting to some of the crazy things we say that you can actually listen to in the unedited episode recordings, which you're entitled to after every episode that we record early before we get to release it, usually almost a week later after we've recorded it. So if you like to hear our episode breakdowns before everybody else, you can tip us for 30 days of supported back content, or you can join a membership tier for as little as a dollar a month, which gives you so much, including Discord access so you can communicate with us directly. Because, uh, you know, you could be one of the hip people, the hip, cool people, daddy-o. I say that's based. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Oh god, he was so bad at all of that. (laughs) He made it sound really lame, but it's actually cool, guys. We're cool. (laughs) cool. It is cool. Please, Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we don't talk. We like don't that. say daddy-o. Just daddy-o. <laughs> daddy-o, daddy-o, it's based, daddy-o. So with that, everybody, I've been your host, David Cabio, and I was joined by the incredulous everybody that is here. Well, I mean, no, you don't have names. Goodbye, everybody. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Cosmo Obzero and I, Rachel Burt, and Sharon D, a.k.a. Blazy Gardner, and Survivor's Tier member, Bridget X Prophecy Girl on Twitter, and Ain't My First Rodeo on Twitter. Instagram. Bye. I'm Bridget. (laughs) Take care, everybody. See you later. And we'll break down the next episode with you soon. Watch out for our Better Call Saul content. Bye. Bye, babies. Thank you so much for making it to the end of this episode. I'm so glad you made it. And I'm always glad you can make it for every single one of these episodes. It really, really does help us grow. I really, really am so glad that you guys get to enjoy these episodes. And speaking of enjoyment, there's nobody I enjoy more than our supporters. (laughs) Uh, Without whom these episodes would not be possible. Among whom the top tier, the survivors tier members over on ko-fi.com slash Dead. It's a means to support us. But we advise mostly following us because we don't feel like we need to pressure you into these things. If you feel like you're enjoying yourselves and you want to send us a signal that we are on the right track, if you just follow us at ko-fi.com slash Dead, we will know that we are on the right track. And when you feel like jumping in to supporting us, you can chip in for 30 days of access to our supported back content, or you can join a membership tier for as little as a dollar a month, which gives you access to our closed recording sessions where you can give us feedback in the real-time chat, let us know how we're doing, and also lend your voice, your insights to these episodes where we will call you out and publicly praise you. Uh, and if you can't make the recording sessions, part of the perk is also that you can get the unedited, unedited recording uh, sessions early, way before they come out on in the public and also unedited. You will get the pre-show, post-show, and everything in between, all the gags, all the little edits, all the frustrations and, technic- and technical malfunctions, but all the gritty details are for you to enjoy. Uh, the Survivors tier member is the top tier, and part of that perk is the ability to join us on camera and Mike helping us break down these episodes like Bridget did today. So these lovely, lovely people are 
obviously Bridget, X Prophecy Girl on Twitter, and Ain't My First Rodeo on Instagram, at ElisaJones71 on Instagram, and at JonesAG6 on Twitter. There's at Jasmine.iac on Instagram. There is Real Ryan GM on Twitter, uh, whom actually helped us reach our goal recently, which was to buy Sharon D a new mic. So you'll be hearing some, hopefully, some stylings of Sharon D, aka Blazy Gardner, with a new voice real soon, hopefully. And of course, last but not least, Linda Peck Athens, who you can find at ko-fi.com slash walking dead. Sorry, no, ko-fi.com slash fanartlindy. Um, she is an excellent artist. I highly recommend you heading over there. Now she is actually selling her original works, some of her original works, her early works, um, for a steal. You can support her while getting some rare items for you to keep. Some rare fan art that she made a long time ago that she is parting with. It could be worth a lot of money down the road. In any case, this episode has also been brought to you by our Whispers tier member. Yes, we have a mid-tier where you can get some of the perks. Not all, not the top tier, join us in the episode breakdowns perks, but basically everything else but. This includes at Judith.Morton on Instagram, at Aiden underscore Atkin underscore, and obviously Aiden the Raven on Twitter. Aiden, at, Aiden underscore Atkin underscore is on Instagram. He actually helps us. Aiden actually helps us uh, with the blogs. He does the, the descriptions. He's been doing a bang up job. Let's at Tyler Philip Cox on Instagram and Twitter. At Rita's Fan Two on Instagram and Twitter. At Frosted Angel sixty seven on Twitter. At Sandy D Morrison on Facebook and of course, last but not least, J thirteen Voorhees on Instagram and Twitter. Again, thank you for joining us on this ride. Thank you for sending us the signals by rating us at ratethispodcast.com slash squawkingdead, which is a convenient portal to actually rate us on all the podcast platforms that have rating systems. But hey, please consider rating us anywhere you can rate us after every episode because it really, really does help. It's a way to communicate with us, but also a way to tell us what we got right and wrong but also a way to give us more visibility. It's been working. I can't tell you enough how much we appreciate you doing so. And uh, we've been seeing it in the charts all over the world, um, from Canada to Australia to recently Switzerland. We got the 42nd spot in TV reviews. Amazing. In any case, I've been your host, David Cameo, and you were joined by Cosmom09, Rachel Burt, Sharon D, a.k.a. Blasey Gardner, and of course, again and again, because she's such a brilliant, brilliant supporter, Bridget X Prophecy Girl on Twitter and Ain't My First Rodeo on Instagram. Take care, everybody. We'll see you or you'll hear us in the next one. <laughs>